0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. This morning we're looking at the presence of God and we're going to continue that theme of practicing the presence of God at home that we've sort of been doing as we've been praying through the marketplace prayers. I want to go to Jeremiah if I can. If your Bible is in your hand, go to Jeremiah 9 and verse 23. But I'm going to read from the Amplified. Who remembers the Amplified Bible? Can I just see those of vintage in the room here? Yeah, the Amplified. That was the Bible we had when you didn't have anything else but the King Jimmy, and then you had the Amplified. That was all we kind of had. Uh, This is the one you read. But I love what it says, Jeremiah 9 and verse 23. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise and skillful person glory and boast in his wisdom and skill. Let not the mighty and powerful person glory and boast in his strength and power. Let not the person who is rich in physical gratification and earthly wealth glory and boast in his temporal satisfactions and earthly riches." But let him who glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me personally and practically, directly discerning and recognising my character, that I am the Lord, who practises loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. Let him who glories, glory in this, That he understands and knows me personally and practically. It's interesting to me that God always combines the two together, that he calls us into this walk of personal relationship with God, but it's not just sitting out there in the world of the ethereal where we can't grasp it. He actually wants to anchor it to practices where our practices help us find the presence of God and the presence of God are actually infused in our practices. And so the two come together and help us be people of God. And this morning, I guess I want to speak a little bit more into the practical parts of how we could host the presence of God. And we're going to look at that, of how can we bring the presence of God more into our homes. So it doesn't really matter what kind of house you live in, but it's the home that's inside that house that we're talking about today. A home is not something that is physical. A home is something that is felt by the people that live under the roof. It's not something that you build with hammer and nails. A home is something that people will know they're in or not. People will either be in the house you will live in or they'll be in a home that you build. And I think this morning we can work with the Lord, we can work with the Spirit of God to actually build a home for people. If today you're a parent of of children of any age, then we're building a home for them, a safe place, a haven, a place where they can come and find rest and restoration. And we're going to talk about how to do that better. Today, if you're an empty nester and you've got kids that don't live at home so much, or they actually do live at home, but if you're like us, they live mess everywhere to inform you they're still there but you don't actually see them because they kind of live this other life, um, then you know you're also trying to build a home with them as well. In fact you'll do well just to communicate with them actually, that's a a whole other world. If you're grandparents today and your family lives largely outside of your house, there's still a home that you're trying to build and the home is not just, I imagine, in the house you own but you'd love to see all of your children and your grandchildren, sit under the home or the covering of your family name and the things you believe in. And so this morning, we're gonna try and address all of those in its complexity. I believe Christianity is not a monument. It's a movement. Christianity isn't a monument to Jesus. It's a movement towards Jesus. It's a movement to be in Jesus and move to the world. It's a movement of our relationship. And so as we're looking at how we get more connected to that sense of the presence of God, it's a movement towards the presence of God. It doesn't matter where your home is today, no matter how you'd adjudicate where you're starting from today, all of us can start afresh and make more intentional moves in a different direction. I believe God wants two things as he's trying to help us engage the presence of God. One, he wants us to know him. He wants us to know him. Unless we personally know God, it's gonna be hard to be a representative of God because we don't really know who we're representing. We have to come to know him. The Bible says in John chapter 14 and verse 23, if anyone loves me, Jesus is speaking, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. God actually has intention to make his home with you. But what he wants from us is that you'd love him. That's it. You say, well, what have I got to do for God to come and make his home with me? Very clearly, Jesus says, just, just love me. If you love me, then my father and I will see that you love me and we'll come and make our home with you. So w- what is it to love God? Well, that's, that's a lot of preachers right there. We could have a lifetime as we unpack what it means to love God. But at the end of the day, I know this to be true. If you really love God, you will feel that love at some point. The marriage that I have to my lovely wife, didn't she do a good job last week at communion? Who was here for that last week? I just want to say what a great job she did. That was a very spontaneous applause from the people here. (laughs) Um, Our marriage we have a marriage certificate at home in the filing cabinet. If someone said to me, are you married? I'm going to say yes. They're going to say, can you prove it? I can say, yes, I can. I'll go home to the filing cabinet and I'll pull out the piece of paper. But if that's the extent of my relationship, then I don't have much of a relationship. If the best I've got is I can point to a piece of paper, then what kind of relationship do I have the relationship I have with Rochelle and her with I is not built on a piece of paper it's it yes it's evidenced by a piece of paper our relationship with God is evidenced by words that have been written but actually it's what's written in the heart that brings alive that relationship and that's why God says love me He doesn't say, I want you to learn about me. I want you to know everything you can about me. I want you to study me. No, he just says, I want you to love me. Because no matter what you are, whether you're a highly educated person or or not so much, whether you're very practical with your hands or whether you're someone that more thinks with your mind or however it is that you go through life, it doesn't matter. You can love. You can love. And so if you can love, you can love God. And God wants to show you, how to love him and the second thing is God wants us to live out of that love live out of him so we don't just know him as such but as a result of that love that love changes us it changes our thoughts and our attitudes our inner motivation shift you know the way we see people the way we see offenses the way we see the, the judgments we make in the world the value systems we have about things it's a completely different kingdom And God says, as you hang around me, you'll get to see that I kind of see things very differently to the way the world system sees it. And so God wants us to be people of that new kingdom. Bring the fragrance of that kingdom. Second Corinthians chapter two says this. Now thanks be to God, always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Don't you love that picture? Through us, he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge through every place. There's something about you that should smell good. When you're around people, they, they should go, <laughs> something about that bloke. He just smells like something different. You know, and, and I think it's interesting that Paul uses that language because it's not that you're going to talk them into it. It's not that you're going to convince them of your logic. It's not that you're going to argue them into the ground until they have nowhere to go but to say, okay, I'll be a Christian then. Just stop arguing with me. God's not saying that. He's actually, Paul's using language that says there's a fragrance about you. There's an authenticity about you that's undeniable. That's what God's looking to create within us. And so therefore, when it comes to our homes, can I challenge us with this statement? If ever there should be a place where the fragrance of God really exists, it should be in our home. Now, I, I know as I say that, that'll challenge people and I, I don't want to offend you this morning, but think about it for a minute. And our home is probably the place where we get the most opportunity to control the way in which that interactions happen. To take, off, take uh be proactive in the way that we do things in that place, to set it up how we want it set up, to make choices as we want to make choices. They're, you know, in, If I can say it this way, we're the boss. It's our home. So what are the choices that we're making? Because if we do want to be people of fragrance in the world, then surely our homes carry something different about them. Surely that that's at least aspirational for us to put out there and say, God, at the very least, I want my home to be a place where the presence of God really is. You know, I, I guess if there's anything I reckon I've learnt about family life, and we're still learning all this stuff, please, there's no, there's no expert speaking this morning. But I think if I can speak, reflect personally for a minute. You know, we can't always control the behaviours that happen at home, but we can control the atmosphere that we set in the home. We can't always control what people do, what people say, but we can control the atmosphere that pervades in the home. And this morning, I want to speak a little bit about how do you control the atmosphere? How do you inform the atmosphere with the fragrance of Christ? Because if we can do that a little bit more, then we're going to create an environment where things are going to change, where things are going to turn. And I know as I speak to that, there'll be ladies here who'll be saying, I wish my husband was a bit more responsive to the Lord. And and men who are saying, I wish I had something a bit different from my children. And and I know we'll have a list of things. Well, Well, we've got to start somewhere. We've got to start with something and be intentional about how in which we can bring that change. And my suggestion today is... Work on the atmosphere of your home. Work on the atmosphere. It's not a fight with people. It's a fight in the spirit. It's a fight by faith into the realm that you can't see, but into the atmosphere of the way your home feels. We all know what atmosphere is. If you ever, we were down the Gold Coast, we're Friday off. We're meant to take a Friday off as a Rochelle and I as pastors, we don't always do it. But the, last week we did. We went on Friday, we went down to the Rabina Town Centre just for a, a day trip. we were down there just kind of walking around in there and, and, and we're trying to have breakfast um, because we'd been there, we got there really early. And, uh, and we were walking around to find a restaurant to have breakfast in. And I know you would have done this too. You're walking through and you, you just stop in a place and look and you go, nah. And you go to some other place and you look at the menu, then you look at the way it's all seeded and the plants and the aspect, and you go, no. And you go to this next place and you, what are you doing? There's something about the atmosphere of the place that you're trying to, I'm going to spend some money and I'm going to do this, and we don't do it that often, so if I'm going to do it, I want to find a place that feels good, yeah? And so we did, we picked this, there's two places that were right next to each other. We looked at this one place and went, yeah, this other place kind of had this nice overlooking as people were walking in and just felt good. And we said, oh, h- how about this one? And then, then the lady says, well, which table? Oh. So then it's like, hmm, which table? Where's the best place to be? Is it here? I've sort of got this saying that, you know, back to the wall guns on the table It's kind of my, well, that's strange, I know, but I like to sit where I can see everything, you know, kind of. So I'm at the back, I'm looking at where I can I say, oh, this, this one feels good. What do you think, love? You go, oh, yeah, it's a good table. Let's sit here. Now, that all sounds a bit silly probably, but you will do it. It's atmosphere. It feels like the right place to be, huh? So we know atmosphere. Have you ever walked into a room after someone has been fighting and they stop? You didn't hear a thing, but you walked in the room. There's been an argument going on. You walk in, you go, okay, hang on. What just happened in here? You know what I'm talking about. Atmosphere. You can feel it. You give off an atmosphere whether you know it or not. You're giving off an atmosphere. People look at you and decide how they feel about being in your atmosphere. I was, uh, a couple of years ago, my favourite football team, and when I say football, I'm talking about the real football here this morning, uh, Liverpool, English Premier League team I've been following since 1977 was playing in Australia a couple of years ago at Suncorp and we were there with 58,000 people as we are all singing You'll never walk alone mm-hmm. Thank you. Believe me, it didn't sound quite that sweet as 58,000 people were standing there, their beers in their hand, singing love songs to a football team. Like it's the craziest thing, but the whole stadium is singing this anthem to Liverpool. Can I tell you the atmosphere that was in that place was alive. If everyone stopped just then and just, there was a set, this guy next to me puts his arm around me. I don't even know him. He He just looks at me and obviously decides, we're brothers because we're singing the same song about Liverpool, and so he starts hugging me. Now we're high fiving when Liverpool scores. It's up there, it's down there. It's, he's talking about this, he's telling me about his kids. It's family. It's five minutes worth of family. Here we are. Atmosphere. See, you know it's true. There's atmosphere everywhere. How do you set up your atmosphere at home? Intentionally, I just want to give you a couple of strategies. It's going to be a bit practical as we work through this this morning. Number one, what are the words that you allow to be said in your home? What are the words that you allow to be said? Firstly, what are the words that you allow yourself to say? I was, uh, when my eldest, Isabel, she's almost 20 now, but when she was about three, I was vacuuming, and I was doing one of those guys Saturday morning chore things when your wife says, um, I'll be careful because she's actually here, but um, when she says, okay, we're going to spend three hours together this morning. We're just going to get this whole house done, and I need everyone to lean in. When I say everyone, our kids are three, one, and babies, so when we're talking everyone, it was just this one. Um, LAUGHTER we're all going to lean in, and we're going to get this house done. I said, aye, aye, Captain. So away we went, and I've got the vacuum cleaner, but I am not happy. I'm thinking, oh, I have been such a big week, and I'm, and I'm vacuuming that stuff, and the pet hair won't come off the ground, and I'm trying my best to get it. I've got to bend down and pick it up and roll it in a ball, then throw it down. <laughs> and then, anybody ever done that to get the pet hair off the ground? Then I want to kill the dog, because I think this is a waste of time. And I've got this dark and stormy building. You know, it's just like here. And then I get this tap on my hip and I spin around and I've got, it just must've been that moment. And I go, what? Like that. And here's Isabel standing in her princess costume with her little thing on her head and her little wand. And her little lip started to quiver. And she looked up at me with big, big eyes full of tears. And she said, daddy, I'd just want to know if I look pretty in this and I went oh my god what have I done I've just ruined my child's life for the rest of her life the atmosphere that I allowed to build around me was like thunderstorm at 4:30 in a Queensland afternoon you know and here's this girl all she wants to know and she's in a different world completely pulls it out of a toy box walks across to me and she's decided now is the moment she needs to know whether dad thinks she looks beautiful. You can't pick it, can you? As a father, if you asked me to rewind the whole thing and I had have watched her do it, I would have stood alongside her the whole way and said, honey, you're gorgeous. You're so beautiful. You're going to grow up to be such a love. I just love you so much. That would have been what I wanted to say. But in the moment of my atmosphere, I go, what? It's not what I want to say but it's what I did say. The atmosphere. How is it that we cultivate around us the choices inside? Genesis 1. The earth's atmosphere was dark and empty, the Bible said. That is until God spoke. When God spoke something, the atmosphere that was dark and empty and void came alive with the life of God. The choices that we use in the way we speak set the atmosphere of our family. Now we're gonna have moments like, what, at times. But what's the repetitive pattern? Is there a culture of honour in your home? Is there a culture where you look for the best? Is there negative criticisms? Is there sarcasm? What is the way in which humour works in your place? These are things to think about because we're building a culture, we're building a thing that's acceptable, and in those words we create an environment. What's your home look like? I reckon one of the most powerful words that a home can cultivate and that parents can give by example to their children and grandparents to their children and children to their siblings is two words, I'm Sorry. They are two of the greatest, most powerful words I think you can ever speak in a home because they speak of the heart of God to us. If you're ever going to do anything that was most magnanimous thing you could do for Jesus, the most sacrificial thing you could ever do, in my opinion, is not to get on a plane and fly to the mission field, that'd be wonderful. Do it if God's called you to, and I'm glad people do. But can I say this to you? The most powerful thing you can do is actually swallow your pride and say, I'm sorry. You don't have to go anywhere to serve Jesus sacrificially. Oh, but it's not my fault. She does this every single time. Yep, I get it. But you know what? I want to build atmosphere of faith. I want to build atmosphere of hope. I want to build a culture and I want to work it through. I'm not saying we shouldn't work through the issues. I'm not saying we shouldn't have those conversations. But how much better would those conversations go if the culture was honourable? What would it look like for you? The words we allow to be said. The second thing I would like to point us to is your human connection routines. Your human connection routines. Really important words because it is about human connection, but it's not about every now and then. It's about the repetitiveness of that human connection. What do they look like for you? I remember when I went to SU Queensland, I was there 14 years ago. I started in ministry at SU Queensland. And one of the great old sages of SU who is still there today. His name is Terry Williams. He's a great friend and and also someone that I always look up to as someone in children's ministry who gets it. Raised a wonderful family, a great leader in his community, travels the world teaching uh, all kinds of things about how to do children's ministry well. He said these two things to me. He said, you know what I found is the best way to raise a young family. And by then I was, of course, our kids were all young. I said, what, what, what? He said, just do two things well. He said, do one meal together and do, one every, and do bedtime every night. Just do a meal and bedtime. Just get that right and everything else falls into place. And I thought about it. I thought, okay, I can't do that every day because, you know, time, we come and go. And, but what a good idea. That's my goal, one meal together and bedtime. He said, nothing more powerful than mums and dads that just sit at the bed of their kids and say goodnight. sit at the bed and say goodnight. He said, if you can strive for one meal and one bedtime. I thought, okay, that's a goal I can strive for. Did did, did we get it right in our place? No, we didn't. We didn't do that every time. But I always thought about it. I, I guess in my heart, I always thought. It was always that thing that when you're on the couch at nighttime and you've had it and they're going to bed, it was that thing I'd have Terry Williams, blessed Terry Williams in my head saying, get up and go to the bedside. I just... You know, that, that word. If it helps someone today, can I encourage you? But what about birthdays? I know that Rochelle talked last week in her, speaking about communion, about our tradition with birthdays. I love that tradition. We've been doing it now for, I don't know, well, really since the kids was could speak. We go around the table and say one thing about the other person that you most love. What's the routine? You know what I found interesting about it is we join with our broader family sometimes to do birthdays. And it's interesting how different siblings have raised their kids in different ways. And and not always do others in my family appreciate the power of this. In fact, I find it it, it degenerates into sarcasm and not authentic honour. And so you've got to be careful because one of the hardest things to do when you're sitting around with people at the table is actually say, okay, I'm going to be authentic right now. I'm going to tell you what I love about you. And that feels, when you first start doing it, it feels like, ooh, we're shifting. This this doesn't always feel like something we do every day. But if you will keep at it, you build a culture of honour. Your special traditions, your family dinners, your game nights, your yearly anniversaries, how do you celebrate is the question I'm asking. Think about how to do that and how you can invite the presence of God into that. Number three, I got a bit of a whipping post in this, and I'm going to try and be just as down the middle as I can. Otherwise, I'm going to become like my kids say, you're preaching at us again, Dad. But this one's called media disruption. Media disruption. If there was one weed I wish I had the power to dig out of our society, is this media disruption. There's this thing, and you'll see it up on the screen. I think we've got it It talks about, psychologists have looked at these two phenomenons. One is called constant partial attention. Constant partial attention. It feels like both adults and kids today, we're living in this world of constant partial attention. We have this ability to focus that deep constantly. So we never really switch off, but we never really go that deep because we're skimming the surfaces of everybody's story and we're constantly engaged with how those stories are updating. So there's no downtime, but there's also no deep time. So constant partial attention says I'm here, but I'm not really here. How many times have you been at a restaurant and you've looked around at couples that are sitting together and they're both on their phones? You know, now I get there's times for that because you're there together and you're trying to update. But if it's all the time, how do you keep the constant partial attention? So I'm present in my body, but I'm really not present emotionally. If we could dig it out, if there was a way of holding it back, maybe at your family's, it's got something to do with dinner tables. It can't be at the dinner table. Maybe there's blackout times where it can't be used. Maybe there's times where you actually just call a halt to it. Recently, Uh, as part of the three-week fast that we had, one of my fasts was to fast all television, all media, anything that had anything other than the Word of God or a commentary on the Word of God was the only thing I would actually uh, eat from or, or, or when I had downtime. It was a lot harder than I thought. It was a lot harder. I thought that was going to be Simple. Can I tell you it was difficult? By the third or fourth day in, I started to realize how much I retreated into this world. Or how much I retreated into Netflix, where I actually just clicked it on and I'd watch a movie. Or I'd get a TV series and watch one or two or three or four at a time. And how much time was actually going to it? I wouldn't have said much except when it came to the fast. In fact, at the end of the fast, my boy who's eighteen said this while we're having dinner one night. He said, You know what, Dad? I've loved how we've had more time to talk in these last three weeks. And it cut me in the heart because I thought, gosh, I thought we talked pretty well now. It doesn't always go like you think, huh? And it's interesting how we've made some decisions since that. I don't know what you need to do in your place. The other thing that psychologists look at is called absent presence. Absent presence. It's kind of a companion with constant partial attention. But you can be present but absent. You know, what does it mean to be absent presence? How do we bring ourselves back into presence with each other so that God can be present with each one of us? Number four, music. Music. Music sets an atmosphere. Music sets an atmosphere. Whatever music you play, there's an atmosphere that comes with that. But how often do you use it intentionally? In your house in the morning, what's the noises that fill the atmosphere? What would music look like if you started to use it more intentionally? What would happen? I know, as our kids were little, we would often play music most mornings, like worship music that we just have on in the house. And you know, at times, you know, it, I, you'd think there was no real fruit from it, except at times we'd be getting in the car and you'd hear them sing it. As they're getting in, just, they'll be just singing some of the lyrics. And so after a while, you begin to see, you know what, this is going in. The tunes, the music is, is going, it's becoming a part of the inner life. Because look, our worship music is not just about the music, they're prayers. The words in our music are prayers to God. They're, they're words that frame up the way we can speak to God, the way we can hear from God. And so the music carries the prayer for us. If people fall in love with the tune, they might also fall in love with the prayer. So my encouragement is, what what does your music look like in your house? Be proactive in your choice of music. I'm not here today to throw rocks at any style, really. There are certain styles that we don't like in our home, we'll never play. Um, Country and Western would be one of those, I would probably like to suggest. I'm only kidding, I'm only kidding. But there's certain styles we wouldn't play. And there are certain styles that, for me, agitate my spirit. And let me just leave it at that. If, you're, if you know what I'm talking about, then don't let those styles be played. Or do the best you can to see other styles played in your home. Worship music, when you walk out the door, worship music, or, or any sort of music as you come in at night, how would that change the tone around your kitchen table, around the time in your kitchen as you're preparing for the dinner at night what would it look like if it was just music playing rather than the news hear my heart this morning I don't I don't want to challenge anyone's routine really I want us to think prayerfully and say God what is it that I want how is it that I want to host the presence of God and what would it look like for me to shift if I keep doing what I've been doing I will keep getting what I've been getting and if that's what you're doing great Bless the Lord. Keep doing that. If you say, no, no, I would like to shift it up, then maybe some of these things might help. Number five, prayer. What does prayer look like in your home? Is it normal to pray? Is prayer normal? Is it, does it feel okay to say, hey, well, let's just let's pray about that for a minute? Let's just pray and ask God what, what we should do. Well, let's pray for that. If something happens at school or university with your kids or, or, or your kids are older, you hear something in the family, you're sitting around the table having a cup of tea together one, one Saturday afternoon, is it normal for you to go, gee, that's awful, I've heard about that, that, those people. Let's just stop and pray for them for a minute before we forget. You know, have you ever said, look, I'll be praying for you this week and then never done it? What, what if you just prayed straight away? Yeah, we we used to, with our kids in the car going to school, we would pray every morning going to school. Just pray in the car. Just pray. We're going to pray for the day. We're going to pray. And then then we'd have turns of going around the car to pray. Did it work all the time? No. Sometimes it was awful. Sometimes there was just the car going to school was a nightmare. And so we'd say, okay, Dad's going to pray this morning. Everyone just shut up. (laughs) Don't let God strike you right now because I want him to. It's normal, hey, but what does it mean to keep pressing in, to keep pressing in? I remember my, our daughter, Abby, had three foot reconstruction surgeries, uh, be, even though she's only got two feet, but um, she, uh, one of the feet, one of them didn't work, and so they had to do the same foot again. The problem with doing them again was she understood the pain involved. The first one, you go in a little bit naive, you know, it's like, well, we don't have to... These are foot surgeries where they had to saw through three bones in her foot and reattach them with hardware and then of course sew it all up. They had to reattach ligaments and tendons in the foot and uh, it was quite a complicated operation and very painful because it was bone pain as well as soft tissue pain. So the the use of um, painkiller afterwards was really important to get her through it. But in the first operation, we found out she was allergic to everything in the codeine family. So we didn't know that. As we tried all kinds of different things, she was literally shaking, going into tremors, all kinds of things, her heart palpitations were all over the place. And one night, I remember, it was one o'clock in the morning, she said, as I was holding her, she was shaking, she couldn't stop shaking as we were waiting for this drug to get out of her system. Rochelle's on the phone speaking to the um, anesthetist, talking to the anesthetist on the phone at one in the morning saying, what are we gonna do? and she, hold, and she says to me, this little voice, she says, Dad, would it just be easier if I died right now? I said, honey, no, that actually wouldn't be easier. That's not something we're gonna even think about and talk about. And then she said this to me. She said, Dad, how about we just pray? And so I'm holding her. She can't see my tears as they're rolling down my cheeks as I'm holding her and she's shaking and I'm just saying, Jesus. But in my heart later, as I thought about it, I thought, isn't it cool that she wanted to pray? I just love that her heart wanted to pray. Now I get when we get desperate enough, we all want to pray, but she wanted to pray. And so we prayed and we rocked and we prayed and we rocked until we got through the night together. You know, what is the culture of prayer in your home? Is it normal to pray about school events, life events, other people's problems and issues that you hear? Or does it just degenerate to sarcasm and criticism? What is the culture Do we care passionately about people's suffering and so we wanna show our families how to respond to that? What is it that we do? Remember, it's our home. We get to speak into the atmosphere. We get to say, devil, back off. Leave my family. You get to walk the boundaries of your house on your property with your anointing oil if you want to and anoint the boundary and say, God, I claim this place for you. God, I pray over these bedrooms today. God, I claim them for you. Sweet sleep for my kids. When my grandkids visit, Father, I pray for sweet sleep over them. God, dreams and visions from you. God, let their calling and destiny form in their heart while they sleep. What is the words that you pray into the spiritual atmosphere of your home? Six. Family celebrations of religious calendar events. I couldn't work out a nicer way of putting those words together. I guess what I'm saying is this, we do Easter and Christmas and New Year and all that stuff and you come to church and we celebrate them here, but what do you do? On Christmas morning, what do you do? Do you open the Bible? Do you say, hey, before we do the presents, we're gonna read from the word. We're gonna actually see what God did all those years ago, and why today we're giving gifts to each other. I know you're going to hear that at church. I know you're going to hear that at Sunday school. I know all that, but we're going to do it here because we care about this story. We're going to read it together. Who'd like to read? Anyone like to be the first to read? What does that look like? What does Easter look like in your home? How do you prepare for Easter? You say, well, we'll we're busy for that. Yeah, I know, I get it. We are, we are busy. But I wonder, could we change something for half an hour to change our practice? Family celebrations of the religious calendar, I I don't think is a waste of time. I think it helps reinforce. Number seven, go to church regularly, but talk about it. And I've got, and positively in the brackets if we can. (laughs) It's okay to have roast pasta on a Sunday, that's okay. Um, Sometimes we really deserve it. And I'm sure you'll have a whole bunch of roast today you can can tuck into. But I'm kind of speaking to the choir here because you're here. (laughs) So those that aren't, it's probably the ones I wanna grab hold of. But can I tell you, the routine of coming to church is so important to establish the value of the church of Jesus Christ as he, they worship God. Establishing the value of it. Appreciating the value of it. Be curious and ask questions and talk about the questions with your kids. Oh, I heard this thing the preacher said today. Kids, what do you think about this? I found with my kids now, they're older, that this is a great debate. We'll come, Dad, they'll say, how was church today? I'll say, great. Now, uh, you can let it stop there. How was church today, Daddy? It was great. Oh, good. What's for lunch? Or, how was church today? Yeah, it was great. You know what? I, this happened today, and I don't. What do you think about this? I felt like God said this to me, and this is. I prayed for a person, this is what happened. What do you think? Oh, um, well, I don't know. To what's, and the conversation begins. How do you create curiosity? around the things that happen. If you have something you've heard or read, do you ever say to the, your kids, I don't know what I think about this, guys? What do you think about this? Did you talk about this in children's church or Sunday school today? Did you? What, what did your teacher say? What did you think about it? What does that look like to have that conversation? I love that Donna's got these cards she's passing out and saying, hey, this is what we're going to be talking about. I think the children's team are trying to give us the tools to say, hey, here's a way you can have a conversation. Please pick up on it. It's a wonderful way of actually creating that culture. Go to church regularly, but talk about it. Positively, if you possibly can. I mean, the last thing we want our kids to grow up in is a family that knew how to criticise the things the church was doing wrong. Because then we'll wonder when they're 18, 19, 20, well, why come? They just did a whole bunch of things wrong all the time. What does it look like to put a value in there? On your way out the door, this last point I wanna leave you with and then I think our kids team is gonna come in. We're gonna to pray together as a church family. But uh, I've just put this thing together called writing our family creed. I just wanna kind of leave this with you as a, as something you might want to do. They're all available at the information desk on your way out the door, you better grab your own copy. It's called Writing Your Family Creed, it's it's got plenty of information on it, it's designed to help you think through if you'd like to. What does it mean to, to sit down together and ask the questions and create the conversations that say, who are we as a family and what do we wanna be? Create your family creed. Grandparents, what does it mean for you to have a family creed over your family? How would that conversation begin? What does it look like for this home to have its own set of mission and values for the things we want to aspire to and live to? There's plenty you can buy from shops and hang them on your toilet doors and put them everywhere that talk about the home is this and the home is that. That's great. But what about a personal one? One that you would write for yourself? And so what this this piece of paper's got is just some questions you can ask. And as you ask the questions of each other, you probably start to come up with the answers. If you've got young kids, what would you do? If you're married and you don't have kids, what would you do? If you've got grandchildren and grown children, what would you do? So it's actually got a few examples in there of, depending on the stage of life, what might be best for you. So see if that's helpful to you, and uh, I, I commend it to you as a way forward. This morning, I'd just love us to be able to pray together with all of our kids' team and with our kids. They're, they're going to go and retrieve the, the kids now. I thought it might be good for us to pray as families. Now, I just really want to acknowledge today that we're talking about the presence of God in our home. So today, you might be a single here, and, but that's your home. You can still have the atmosphere of the presence of God as a single in your home, You might be a couple together in empty nesters and your kids have left and maybe right now they're not serving Jesus. But you can still have an atmosphere in your home for what you want to see happen. Maybe today there's members of your family under your roof who right now don't really have a faith or want to live for God. Well, that becomes a mission field to you. What does it look like for you to shift the focus away from what they're not doing to how could the atmosphere start to cultivate something different? See, we've got a choice to speak faith into it or not. I want to encourage you from the Spirit of God today, speak faith into your homes. Speak faith, no matter what the composition is of the people that are under your roof, speak faith into the home you live in. Come on, let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for your power, your grace that helps us do life. Father, you invite us into a space, God, where we value your presence so much that we want to speak well of each other and with each other. We want to speak well of you and of your church. Father, we want to live in a way where the fragrance of your presence is felt by others. The atmosphere that we carry in our homes, people walk in and say, this place is different. Father, would you help us see through the eyes of faith what you would see our families becoming, what our homes could become? Father, would you help us be discerning, drive out the attack of the enemy where he wants to come to rob, kill and destroy. And would you help us, Father, as your people, Lord, to live for you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au